Thank you so much for joining us. This is the Agile Parents Podcast, peaceful parenting, improving relationships, and smarter children. My name is John Luzzi. And I'm Jahida. I want to talk about who we are and why you are listening to us. So before we get into us, I just want to tell you Agile. Definition. Marked by a ready ability to move with quick and easy grace. Having a quick, resourceful, and adaptable character. We are using the name Agile Parents. The term Agile also comes from Agile Software Development, a group of software development methods in which requirements and solutions evolve through collaboration between self-organizing, cross-functional teams, and it promotes adaptive planning, evolutionary development, early delivery, continuous improvement, and encourages rapid and flexible response to change. So let's tell you a little bit about ourselves. I'll go first. I am Jahida. I am 33 years old, married to John, a smart, loving, conscious man who has me feeling deeply valued every day. We were together for four years before he proposed, then engaged for one year and married just three months now. And I point out these timelines for a reason. It's because our relationship has really evolved most significantly in the year of our engagement when we went really deep within ourselves and with each other, asking and answering a lot of important questions, questions about our pasts, our childhoods, our family life, our lives as single people, who we are in partnership, and even the institution of marriage. We needed to get really clear on the answer to one major question, which was, why are we getting married? What are our expectations of one another once we're bound by this so-called institution of marriage? There's been a lot of growth in the past year, which is, I think, the main reason we decided to start this project called Agile Parents to explore and learn more and grow more and to share it with others in hopes that other people might benefit from it. So my name is John, and you just listened to my wife, Jahida. I am 32 years old, and I think the most important thing you need to know about me is that I want to make sure that I'm going to be the best father that I can possibly be. And I don't even have children yet. Uh, Most men that I know don't really think about these things. Most men and women just think that because they're able to bear children, that everything that they will need to know will come as on-the-job training. Personally, I don't want to leave things up to chance. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can now to prepare to be the best that I could possibly be. It's kind of become an obsession for me, and I do know that being a father requires being in a good relationship with the mother of my children. And one of the things that we will be focusing a lot on is improving relationships and defining what it means to be in relationship. So for the past 10 years, I have worked through the self-help gauntlet and then later discovered that if I really wanted to be happy, I would have to focus on myself more. So I did more. I had uh, a lot of help with uh, with coaches, therapists, and some amazing workshops that I attended. And some of these, you know, after a while, I began to actually facilitate in some of these workshops. But 
at the time, I started learning things about myself that were usually pretty obvious to any trained person that paid enough attention, but were completely out of my awareness. So through this awareness building, there started a transformation in myself. I started doing things that I would have never have done before in my life. One day I heard a politician say things that no other politician says. That politician was was Ron Paul. For those of you that who know who Ron Paul is, uh, this really doesn't need any further explanation. For those of you who who don't know who Ron Paul is, I would recommend you Google Ron Paul and Rudy Giuliani. Here is a small segment from that. By the way, I need to comment on that. That's really an extraordinary statement. It's an extraordinary statement as someone who lived through the attack of September 11, that we invited the attack because we were attacking Iraq. I don't think I've ever heard that before, and I've heard some pretty absurd explanations for September 11. I would ask the congressman to withdraw that comment and tell us that he didn't really mean that. Congressman? I believe very sincerely that the, that the CIA is correct when they teach and, and talk about blowback. When we went into uh, Iran in 1953 and installed the Shah, yes, there was blowback. And the reaction to that was the taking of our hostages, and that persists. And if we ignore that, we ignore that at our own risk. That if we think that we can do what we want around the world and not incite hatred, then we then we have a problem. They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, they attack us because we're over there. I mean, what would we think if we were uh, if other foreign countries were doing that to us? Can I have thirty seconds? Please? No, 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 wait a second. Let's all get thirty seconds. They, they, they are, they are so the very short story of all of this is that I became very involved in politics. I was a Ron Paul delegate, and I was elected as county committee to my town. I also got 13 other people elected to New Jersey county committee positions throughout New Jersey. And I had this idea that I was going to change the Republican Party from within with, you know, putting all Ron Paul supporters in there. And um, once I got there and once I got all these other people elected, came to the conclusion that this was not something that I wanted to do. It was a dead end to change people's minds in this way using the political process. I am convinced that there are no political solutions to social problems. It just it wasn't going to work. I realized this is going to be an incredible waste of time. My efforts can go somewhere else to do things that are where I have more control. So. Um, somewhere along the line, I don't recall when exactly I remember hearing a man speaking and I think it was on YouTube. And my first thoughts when I heard this man speaking was who the hell does this guy think he is? And basically this man challenged every idea that I had taken for granted. However, over time, the consistency of his arguments pulled me out of the matrix. We all understand that you know, we should have the right to, to choose to get married. We should have the right to leave marriages if they turn out to be abusive or destructive in some way. But these options are not available to children. Children didn't choose you. They didn't date you. They didn't say, hey, of all the people I could have as my mom and dad, I'm going to choose you because you are just fantastic. And they also can't leave. They, you know, until they're 16 in some places, 18 in other places, they can't leave a... Um, uh, a negative family environment. They have obviously no legal in, in independence. They have no financial independence. They just can't do anything about it. So they don't choose to be there and they can't leave. And so if we sort of really mull over that, if we really absorb that 
reality, I think we can very quickly come to the conclusion that the people we should be treating the very best in our lives are the people who's cho- who, who never made the choice to be with us and who can't leave. I started listening to this man a lot, and he has made a significant impact on my life and influenced me greatly for uh, as far as peaceful parenting is concerned. That man's name is Stefan Molyneux. If you are serious about raising children without spanking, this man really cannot be ignored. So while listening to, to Stefan, I came across also uh, Brett Vinat. Right from the first podcast that I heard him, he encouraged his listeners to question him. And why did he want us to question him? Because he was trying to teach people to think for themselves. I want to open up concealed aspects of modern schooling, such as the deterioration it forces and the morality of parenting. You have no say at all in choosing your teachers. You know nothing about their backgrounds or families. And the state knows little more than you do. This is as radical a piece of social engineering as the human imagination can conceive. What does it mean? One thing you do know is how unlikely it will be for any teacher to understand the personality of your particular child or anything significant about your family, culture, religion, plans, hopes, dreams. In the confusion of school affairs, even teachers so disposed don't have the opportunity to know those things. How did this happen? Before you hire a company to build a house, you would, I expect, insist on detailed plans showing what the finished structure was going to look like. Building a child's mind and character is what public schools do. Their justification for prematurely breaking family and neighborhood learning. Where is the documentary evidence to prove this assumption that trained and certified professionals do it better than people who know and love them can? There isn't any. The cost in New York State for building a well-schooled child in the year 2000 is $200,000 per body when lost interest is calculated. That capital sum invested in the child's name over the past 12 years would have delivered a million dollars to each kid as a nest egg to compensate for having no school. The original $200,000 is more than the average home in New York costs. You wouldn't build a home without some idea of what it would look like when finished, but you are compelled to let a core of perfect strangers tinker with your child's mind and personality without the foggiest idea of what they want to do with it. So Brett's focus was primarily on a history of public education, uh, giving uh, an immense background knowledge on where public education began and its roots. Yeah, I, I definitely was super influenced by Brett Benat and School Sucks podcast. Before I talk about that, I, I want to talk about how I got into teaching and where, when I actually discovered my passion for interacting with young children, working in a daycare center part-time when I was 19 years old. I was a freshman in college at the time. I was studying business administration because I had been placed in an office job my senior year through my high school internship the year before. And when I graduated, in my naive, inexperienced mind, I thought, well, college is next. I had no idea what I wanted to do as a career, but since I was in an office job, I chose to study business. Well, I almost had it right because at least I chose a part-time job that my heart actually led to, which was working with with young children. And I remember really love loving going to that job every day. When I completed community college, I transferred to a state university where I studied early childhood education. 
I graduated, got a certificate to teach, and got my first paying job in a charter school as a teacher's assistant in a kindergarten classroom, which was so awesome. I was so excited to be working uh, with the younger children. I had gotten my certificate to work anywhere from pre-K up to fifth grade. So, but I, I actually preferred being with the, the younger children. So I was happy to get hired and I was excited about putting all of these abstract ideas that I had learned in college into practice. And I, I couldn't wait to be a part of this classroom community and to, to help these young children learn and to actually kind of have a new family when you're spending so much time with these children, when they're spending most of their waking hours with you, it's like, it's actually like family. Unfortunately, within a few months, what I learned from my time was how not to treat children if your goal is to help them learn. I learned that it was my job to keep them quiet. It was my job to keep them from getting out of their seats. It was my job to get them to stop talking and I learned that the main focus of the school was not to ask what these children really needed to thrive and learn, but to demand reflexive obedience from these children. Because as the administration and the teachers and even the parents in most cases saw it, in order for the children to learn, they need to be quiet. They need to sit still and they need to just let us pour this information into them because they need to regurgitate it for the state tests. And with all of the strict laws with charter schools, they need to perform or else their funding will be taken away. So it was extremely important uh, for these children to do well on these state tests. And that was one of the main things that put me over the edge when I experienced the kids in kindergarten taking these standardized tests where they actually had to fill in bubbles. Uh, but it was it was required of them. And I remember even, you know, how when you're when you're taking like the Iowa test, remember when you were young, they wouldn't let you leave the class because you might cheat or something. They were, it was called almost like a lockdown where you had to, you know, all the doors were closed and you couldn't you couldn't even go to the bathroom. And there were it was just heartbreaking to experience putting these young children through this. Yeah, it's basically for, the, for their the, own good, for their own good. <laughs> right. It was the whole it was the school culture. Also, aside from the aside from the disregard for their well-being and, and total focus on academics without actually considering them in any other way except for, you know, you need to memorize these facts. The, the teachers were just yelling all the time at the top of their lungs, extremely aggressively, sometimes right in a child's face. I mean, I saw threats and shaming and just cruelty. And I witnessed that like on a regular basis. And the school was a middle school. Actually, the grades were pre-K to eighth grade. So I guess it was around three years to 14 years or so. And after seven months, I could not be a part of it anymore. And I struggled with that decision because I loved the children and I wanted to help them. I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to be a source of console and comfort for them. And I thought that may, I could maybe just stay. Maybe I didn't have to quit. Maybe I could just do it, do things my way. I would teach, I would treat them kindly and with respect. But I realized that I was the assistant and the teacher that I was assisting didn't see it that way. And that maybe she did that, she did feel that way when she first started. But now there was no time for rethinking the way she disciplines. There were lesson plans to be handed in by the end of the week. And there were staff meetings and assemblies and assessments and state tests to get ready for. So there was just, too much to do already to think about the children's needs. And I remember just before quitting, having lunch with another TA, another teacher's assistant, 
And when I talked to her about my frustrations, about how these children were just treated so badly and it was awful and heartbreaking, she told me that the kids are just so used to being disciplined harshly at home that this is, they're used to it, that this is the only way to get through to them, that this was what they needed. This is what I had to do to get the children to respect me. And I just didn't buy that. I did not buy it. I could see that, you know, this was a bad neighborhood and that I knew that the administration and the teachers were were too busy trying to meet their own needs to consider the needs of the child. I knew that the parents were using punitive discipline, including spanking at home. And I could see that everyone's intentions were were good, I think, right? Like, it's just for their own good. We, We need to do this so that they grow up a certain way, so that they learn. Actually, that didn't make sense to me. Or it, yeah. It just didn't, I, even if that was for their own good, I couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't, I couldn't treat them like that anymore because I, and I'm ashamed to say it, that I was, I thought that I had to do it the way everyone else did it. You know, I just, I would yell and I would sometimes bribe them and it was, it was not, not good. So that's when I started looking around and also I learned about Brett Vinat. I learned about him first and then you started listening. But the same way with Steph, John learned about Steph first and then I started listening to Steph. That's kind of like when I started waking up from the matrix, learning about the origins of public school and uh, what the actual purpose of schooling is, uh, why we divide the children by subject and by age and by constant rankings on tests. And Right. It's not something that happens anywhere else, but for some reason or some bureaucrat thinks that that's the best way to educate people, but... That's a whole other topic. Right. So I, I learned a lot about alternatives to public school, like home education. I went and visited uh, Waldorf schools, free schools, Montessori schools, cooperatives. Um, I actually ended up working. Well, I actually kind of did a tour of all these schools where I was just a volunteer. Thankfully, I was working at night. So I was able to walk away from that job because I still had financial security. But I think that the main reason that most teachers stick around is because you know, they don't have a choice, really. They, they need a, they need this job. And I don't, I don't, they still have a choice. Yeah. I mean, I think they feel like they don't and, you know, they need, they need this job. So they don't walk away from it, even though they know it's not working. And when you, when you compare the amount of money that you would have made at that school versus the private school where the same aged kids are, speaking different languages and practicing sign language and everyone's on a first name basis. There's no yelling, there's no hitting. And in that school, you're getting paid half of what you would have got paid at the other school. Sure. Because it's privately funded, but yeah, there's a, there's a price tag and then there's your actual well being every day. You know, you can't really put a price tag on that. Although, yeah, we do, we all have our, our whatever lifestyle we have that we need to fund. Like I was saying, I, I, I was working at night, so I was able to go into these other schools and see how they were doing it differently. And actually, it got hired at, at the cooperative uh, near our home here because, you know, I was a volunteer. I was there because I wanted to be. I loved everything about the school and they saw that I what I was really committed to. And I, I never even had an interview. I kind of was just there, st- stuck around for a few months and got to know everyone. And they said, hey, we've got this opening. There's someone that's leaving on maternity leave, we, we'd love to have you. So it was a really great experience uh, where I actually, you know, found out that what real education is. And now we define that as a lifelong pursuit of self-directed 
intrinsically motivated and purposeful knowledge acquisition. It should be something that you do because you're really curious about it and excited about it, not because someone else says you should do it. I mean, obviously, this is a whole other topic, too. But, you know, we do need to learn basic skills as and that's basically the only thing we really walk away from, I think, in public schools is like those basic skills, like a reading, basic reading, basic math. We plan on home educating because we don't believe that everyone's meant to be doing the same thing. You know, in, in school, everyone's doing the same thing at the same time every day. And it's kind of like you have to do this. Then the, the bell rings and now you're starting this. And we we don't think that's we don't think that's what's going to be most beneficial for our child. So, yeah. Uh, and, and I just want to add something, too. I mean, like the, the most important thing for me is having a child that can be able to think for themselves. So I don't want my child just accepting what someone tells them. I want them to question everything. I want them to question me. Um, so critical thinking is very, very important. And this I, is the smart children part of the tagline, smarter right. children. Right. And um, I think in order for our children to be smarter, I think we have to be smarter. And it, yeah, like that goes with everything. In order for our children to be dot, 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 we have to be that way. In order for our children to have respect, to, you know, enjoy learning, to anything, uh, to be polite, we are the ones who are going to be modeling that from day one. So when it comes to the improving relationships part of the tagline, it's about having that relationship and modeling that relationship between not just me and John, but other people around us and how we treat them. They're going to be looking at that. And how this all relates to agile parents or agile or the agile methodology. So one of the things that we have done in our relationship to improve it is we have uh, created a relationship vision. So we are clear about each other's values, the things that we want, the things that we expect from each other. And we've found something that is in that we could be in sync with. And also we establish norms and ways to resolve conflicts. When we have all these things that we've, you know, pre-discussed how things are, are going to be, kind of opens up a lot of freedom to basically say anything, to be as honest as you possibly can um, without holding back anything. So we do value integrity, honesty, and courage, even if it might, um, you know, make other people uncomfortable, even if it might make someone uh, angry. And especially when it comes to our own relationship between each other, it's something that we value very highly as far as being honest. So the long story short for that is that we're not going to be sending our children to any government-funded schooling institutions. Uh, This might sound crazy to a lot of people, but it's a fairly easy decision to make once you have all the background knowledge, once you understand where public schooling started from and to get an in-depth hit on all of that information i would definitely check out brett vanat's podcast called school sucks podcast so we talked a little bit about peaceful parenting why it's important we talked a little bit about improving relationships with smarter children and we think that society would be better off if all exchanges between people were voluntary no force no coercion no fraud, or any religion is completely inconsistent with uh, my values, which are critical thinking, consistency, respect, choice. You know, these, are, these are things that we value, and we want to create the atmosphere for consistency for our own child. So 
the Lord works in mysterious ways is something that will never be uttered to my children for explaining something. For one thing, it puts a period on something that should be a question mark. You know, we value critical thinking, and I want my child to question everyone and everything, including myself. The whole thing with spanking, at the heart of it, is being consistent in our lives. By that, I mean the way we treat people. And what I learned, I think it was from working in that school and from listening to Stefan Molyneux, where I realized the contradictions were, where the children were treated a certain way. I remember one time seeing the teacher across the hall. All of the children were coming out of the classroom and the teacher was standing by the door waiting to close it behind them. And there was this the one child that was last to come out was distracted by something. So she was taking a little bit longer to actually leave the classroom and didn't really notice the teacher waiting for her. And when she she turned around, she noticed the teacher just waiting for her. And the teacher looked at her just with this dirty look and said, get out of the way. And it was just so nasty to her. And I thought, if it was me, would she have talked to me that way? No, she wouldn't have. And there were just so many examples where these children were just treated in in a way where the staff would never treat each other that way. Perhaps they would treat other people in their lives or their children out home, at home, outside of the school a certain way and be nasty to each other. But to be, you know, I guess professional in this environment, they would never treat another adult that way. But so there were all of these contradictions. And I think that was one of the main reasons I stopped believing in religion I think Peter Bogosian said it best when he talked about the usage of the word faith. Sometimes it means hope, and other times it means believing things without evidence, or better put, pretending to know things you don't know. And I think when you pretend to know things you don't know, that is the antithesis of learning and real education. What we're really wanting is to be good parents. What we're really wanting is to raise our child to be a healthy, successful problem solver, a critical thinker, a good communicator, a person who's caring and compassionate, independent, happy, ethical, a lifelong learner who who lives the good life. And we want to do everything in our power to to facilitate that and to, to be the kind of people who can uh, make that happen. Right. And, you know, by no means are we experts in this. We are also learning, also discovering. We have no no idea how we're going to spend our day to day, you know, with our with our child. But we do know some things that we won't be doing, but we want to um, start focusing on things of what we will be doing. So the central question that this podcast attempts to answer, being that we want to raise our children consistently free from coercion, aggression and fraud so they can be healthy thriving adults. What do we do now? How are we going to raise our children in this world, within this paradigm, to make the world a better place? This podcast is an exploration to answer this question. Let's end this with a poem. Okay, this is from Kelly Naturally. We're told that kids need to be taught respect, but respect isn't something that you teach nor demand. Children learn by living. So what does that mean? Treat your children respectfully. Honor their feelings and expressions. Allow them to make decisions. Let them make mistakes. Resolve conflicts peacefully. Practice empathy. Focus on being kind. 
Be considerate of people around you and your children will learn respect as a way of life. When kids feel respected, they will respect others. When you honor your child, they honor those around them. When you treat them righteously, they develop a sense of righteousness that they naturally will continue to strive towards in their life. You don't need to demand respect. You just need to be respectful.